All right, welcome to another uh, podcast of Wealth by Design. I'm excited to share this information with you. You know, it's been a long time coming, what's yet to come. You know, we all are watching the news, the media. Uh, sometimes there's a lot of hype on media, but right now it's extremely justifiable to the timeline of commercial real estate and what's yet to come. You know, I've been at this for close to 30 years now and doing all different types of commercial property. I've seen the market being cyclical, going up and down in the house buying business, where commercial is more of a stabilized type of approach. It takes a little bit of time to go up and go down. We've definitely seen that. But what's happening here next, and a lot of predictions are validated over the fact that we have inflation with values going up. We all know gas prices are absolutely through the roof. Um, cost of food, cost of product, building materials, all that is up. Uh, we are also facing some additional political views, which we won't get into, right? We're also facing some issues with potential war in other countries. All of these have an effect on the economy, what happens, and of course, interest rates skyrocketing. So I get asked the question, is now a good time to jump in and invest in commercial real estate? And my answer is now is the best time to get involved in commercial real estate. I've been focusing a lot on the multifamily sector, um, obviously during the downturn with uh, COVID-19 and uh, a lot of people with heavy unemployment, there was a moratorium on evictions for multifamily. Um, at that point, uh, I made a choice to start getting rid of the multifamily portfolio. And then we started doing some additional wholesaling for multifamily because other people want that. They get it. You know, it's houses in a box, right? They're comfortable with that. Where some of the unknown property types that are out there, like self-storage, which I do talk a lot about, it's basically apartments without the people. You got all their things inside of a box, but you don't have the person living there. So you can obviously do away with the standard deferred maintenance, like running toilets, leaky faucets, you know, complaining tenants. And there's obviously not a moratorium on eviction because you're all month to month. And being month to month, you can do a nuisance rental increase on storage. And just a little rental increase across the board of hundreds of units can literally change the entire value of that property because just a little $5 nuisance rental increase, you can create a massive flow of cash flow and also appreciation in value. So this sector in self-storage is really important to understand there is over 50,000 self-storage facilities across the nation. And statistics show that over 90% of those are owned by independent operators like mom and pop. These are not your corporate conglomerates. These are not your newly built class A facilities. Um, these are not slated for a thousand units. Like you see a lot of the uh, extra space and the uh, public storage and a lot of these new ones coming out of the woodwork. These are the ones that are sitting in industrial zone land off the beaten path where we can locate these majority of them don't even have websites. We can contact owners direct in a very simple manner. There's a multiple prong approach of contacting these owners. We can get length of ownership and we can see that, Hey, there's someone that's been sitting in that box for a long period of time. They have very little debt. The property's not operating at its highest and best and it's got vacancy and we can realize upside and we have the lift. That's what we refer to it here in the office. We have the lift where we can go in and fill the vacancies, raise the rents, and create that upside. So what's going to happen in the coming months here, going through the tail end of November, December, even January and February, 
um, we're going to see that by the first of the year, which has predictions, even with Amazon laying off tens of thousands of people, we're going to see that there is going to be some upset in the marketplace. Look, my crystal ball's in the shop. I definitely do not have the right exact dynamic to tell you how many people are going to be unemployed or where the interest rate's going to be or how much hurt's going to be out in the marketplace. But one thing is for certain, there's going to be more multimillionaires made from these down markets than in up markets. There's real estate investment trusts that'll still be continuously buying because they have to move money around. They're still trading, utilizing a capitalization rate metric, buying these properties anywhere from four, five, six caps. And we're able to buy these properties at 10, 11, and 12 caps, not on performa value, but actually on as-is value. As is, where is, in its current state, in its current condition, we can purchase these properties with creative terms to eliminate banks. And you may think to yourself, well, creative terms and seller financing in a down market, is that reality? Of course, that's justifiable. Look, banks only want to loan money to people that don't need it. And they also want to loan on assets. There's two sides of a piece of paper. You have an asset that's income producing. You have a liability that's obviously suffering and not operating at its highest and best use. We're not looking for the properties that are class A that are out there operating at their highest and best, sitting at market occupancy, at market rent, being traded at market cap. Instead, we're looking at the other side. We're looking at that distress situation. It can either be a distressed property or a distressed situation, meaning with the individual owner. There's all types of reasons why properties can sit, you know, in a distressed state. Um, if it has lack of income and it's not justifiable for bank purchasing, there's only two real ways to buy it. It's either going to be all cash, low ball, no contingencies, quick close, and we can get these for, say, 30 to 40 cents on the dollar, or, and that's on its actual as-is value, or we can pay a little bit more to get creative with seller finance terms. Now, when I talk about seller finance terms, again, it comes down not only just to the property having a little bit of a problem and upset with its occupancy and current rents, um, maybe deferred maintenance or some CapEx, capital expenditures, maybe the roofs or the HVACs are out. Uh, if it happens to be a self-storage or back to multifamily. But then there's also the situation with the individual. And we've fallen into, into all different types of opportunities right in our lap with inheritance property. You know, people are definitely wanting to retire when they reach a certain age. Unfortunately, sometimes it's a fact of life. People expire. And when somebody, their heirs actually inherit a property, they don't want to go and operate a multifamily with a bunch of tenants. They don't want to deal with, you know, uh, property ownership of, of, you know, big box warehouse or uh, an assisted living or a senior living facility or, you know, a, a strip mall or whatever it happens to be retail. These people are in a, in a, in a position where they want to get cashed out. You know, it's kind of like winning the lottery. You know, we just had a humongous lottery, billions of dollars, first time ever, the biggest lottery. And you can either take it in an annuity over the period of time of 30 years, or you can just get paid out all at once. I can assure you, 99% of the people want to get paid out right away. Same as inheritance property. They don't want to operate. They want to get paid out. Partners feuding. People get into this business of commercial real estate investing to diversify their portfolio. Maybe they're in stocks. Maybe they're doing something cutting edge in technology like crypto. Maybe they've invested in business ideas, being an entrepreneur. And then they have their commercial real estate portfolio. Sometimes people are a little green. So they join forces with someone else. And then one person is doing armchair investing, meaning they're not doing much. 
and the other person's doing all the work and they feel a little, you know, resentful over the fact that someone else is just armchair investing. And then all of a sudden you get that partners feuding scenario. So whenever we're um, looking at our acquisition criteria, part of the questions that we ask is we always want to identify who we're on the phone with, what level of ownership they have, if they're the controlling entity of the business, and how many people are actually involved. A lot of partners feuding. There's also the ill health scenario um, where they don't pass and they're just ill, and it's an unfortunate situation, and we don't prey on the weak by any regard, but it is, again, a fact of life. And if someone is in that unfortunate situation, they do get creative with terms because they're going to be leaving that to their heirs regardless. And then we just have people that are just out of gas. They just want to retire. They're just, they're just done with it. They don't have the capital ready to do improvements. Um, they don't want to put time and energy into marketing, management, collections. They don't understand automization or modernization of properties. They don't understand bringing in third-party marketing management. So at that point, they've been doing it all themselves, and they're just flat out burnt. Now, those situations, they call for seller financing in creative terms. Here's the takeaway. There's this misconception with commercial real estate investing where you got to have piles of money, perfect credit, and a fabulous track record. And I've yet to see someone grill me or any of my clients in that type of position where they're rushing us to ask for proof of funds, uh, a bio, and all of this. And the reason why they don't do that, and the reason why they do that, They only do that when you're buying an asset. When it comes to something that's got some hair on it, some problems with it, and these people have to sell, not just want to sell, it takes away that pressure, and we avoid that. So all my seller finance notes are non-recourse, so there's no personal guarantee. They're assumable and transferable, so at any point in time during the ownership of the property, when I start to realize the value, I can sell that off to someone. Someone can step into my shoes and take over the amazing terms that I orchestrated. All these wonderful things lead to opportunity. We're creators, we're explorers, we're finding these opportunities in this current marketplace with so much more that's yet to come. So if you truly feel that this has been a value add during this podcast, what I encourage you to do is go ahead and check out the link below. Go ahead and get in touch with me. I do look forward to meeting up with folks that are eager to get going and you want to learn the business of wealth building. Remember, you only have one life to live, so live it wealthy. I appreciate you. Take care. Talk soon.